Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Every single day we're learning more about the impact of COVID-19. But one thing that we do know right now is that in some of the hardest hit areas of the country, more people from black and brown communities are dying from the disease. In New York City, for example, black and Latinx people are dying at twice the rate compared to white residents. And we're seeing similar trends with black residents in Louisiana and in Midwestern states like Illinois and Michigan. In the Bay Area, we're just starting to see race-specific data from state and local authorities. And many health experts say that if we want to stop this virus, we need the whole picture. This is really an issue of what data do we need to know for active management of this pandemic. We need to understand who's affected in the moment so that we can actually mobilize in the moment. Anyone can get sick from the coronavirus, but it's still hitting communities of color harder. Because even before all this, our society was very unequal, and not everybody has the resources to protect themselves. Today, how data on race and ethnicity can help beat COVID-19. I'm Devin Katayama. Welcome to The Bay. I think for uh, those of us who study inequities in health, um, when something as unprecedented as this pandemic happens, we always brace ourselves uh, to understand where there are going to be differences. Dr. Kirsten Bibbins Domingo is Vice Dean for Population Health and Health Equity in the School of Medicine at UC San Francisco. She's also the chair of their Epidemiology and Biostatistics Department and a general internist at SF General Hospital. I think early on we knew when testing wasn't widely available, um, there are some people who are able to get testing and others who are not able to get testing. When we instituted practices like social distancing, we know there are some individuals and communities who can shelter in place easily, and for others, it is much harder, either because of where they live, because they may not even have their own housing, and that, that, that might itself be insecure, or they might have to go to work, that the issues of staying at home, they're part of the essential workforce. And so when you know that even the ways in which we address this pandemic early on required an understanding of who has the resources to really um, to really uh, do the things we'd like to do to manage a pandemic, I think all of us were bracing ourselves to see what those numbers looked like. Ideally, what kind of data would you like to be able to see about COVID-19 in the Bay Area? 
I would love there to be data on race and ethnicity, to be data on uh, on language, particularly um, because sometimes we need to make sure we guide public health messaging in, in other languages to make it readily accessible. Um, in some cases, especially in Southern California, we've seen data released by zip code. I think that that can right. be helpful because you can start to see uh, communities that are more affected. Um, that's not individual level data, but you start to see where things uh, cluster. And then I'd, I want to mention, um, because this is also so important, that there is a fear among many of us who do health disparities work that releasing data by particular uh, racial or ethnic groups um, can cause more stigma, more xenophobia, more um, discrimination against those groups. And I think we, we need to find a way to communicate about why it's so important to have this data and release this data, and then to be as equally vigilant and vocal about ensuring that there isn't the type of xenophobia that we definitely uh, saw earlier, particularly against the Asian community, because, you know, of concerns that this virus had come here from China. I know we don't have great numbers right now, but just anecdotally, what are you hearing from colleagues who are treating COVID-19 patients at UCSF? So early on, we are relying on our own experiences of the patients we're seeing as they come into the emergency room, who's in the hospital, who ends up in the intensive care unit. And I think early on amongst, um, amongst my colleagues, uh, there was a concern that uh, we were seeing a lot of monolingual Spanish speakers in particular. We were seeing uh, patients who um, across the entire age spectrum, but certainly in the younger adult population, and we were seeing men. And I think that all three of those uh, align with the, the aggregate numbers that the city um, in San Francisco has released. It's an important reminder the virus can affect everybody, um, but the impact is not going to be felt equally. And so I think when we saw a, a particular demographic in the hospital, it made us concerned to understand that a little bit more. What are some of the specific things that might cause people from some racial backgrounds to be more vulnerable to COVID-19, especially when you think about the populations here in the Bay Area? I think that uh, much of our way of, of managing a, a pandemic rely on getting public health messages out. We all know what flattening the curve is. We all know what social distancing is now. Um, getting those messages out to all communities in all languages is a challenge. We know uh, for many marginalized communities, getting messages from the government is not necessarily the trusted messenger always. I think things like social distancing, we've talked about this already, being able to shelter in place is something that is easier for some than others. If you live in a house where more people live with you and you have more responsibility to, to take care of extended family, um, it is harder to socially distance. Those who are, um, who are homeless or housing insecure have the additional challenges. Those types of things make social distancing when you're sheltering in place challenging. 
And then it's important to know that some of these, um, what we call essential workers, the people we want to be out working who are, um, you know, driving Muni or working in our hospitals, the people who are delivering our groceries, um, that we know that um, all of our minority communities are overrepresented among the essential uh, workers' workforce. And the combination of all of these things, especially when combined with uh, more limited testing and more limited access to health care in many of our communities, all those things, uh, I think, compound themselves to make this a more challenging epidemic in some communities. In many of these communities, things like high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, uh, asthma that we know put you at risk for more severe outcomes are also more common in these same communities. Yeah, I know there's a lot of moving parts to, to who's getting sick and where they're getting sick most in, in the Bay Area and across the country. But do you think as we learn more about who's being affected by COVID-19 that it's going to look different, like uh, across different parts of the of the Bay Area, like the North Bay versus the South Bay versus San Francisco versus the East Bay? Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, as I learn and watch the this pandemic play out in some, you know, a pandemic means that everyone can be affected. Um, but certainly we know that not everyone's going to be affected in the same way. And I think what you will see over time is really um, stark differences locally in, in how um, all of this plays out. And I think that, that we will start to see um, differences in the more densely populated areas compared to differences in the less densely populated areas. And it's hard to, to know um, exactly and anticipate exactly how they will play out, except to say that the resources that one needs to maintain good health, they're going to play themselves out where the people who, who have less of those or who have less ability to access those for all of the reasons we talk about are always going to be um, at greater risk. And understanding that risk is probably going to require understanding really the local environments and in each of our areas in the Bay Area. If we had great data on race, race and ethnicity, what would you want to do with that data? I think what we need it for right away is the immediate management of the pandemic. Data help you to say, well, we need to gear up to partner with these community-based organizations to get the word out. We need to put our testing sites in this neighborhood because this is the neighborhood where we see lots of cases. We need to have contact tracing for people who are positives to, to contact the people around them that really understands how um, the social and cultural environment works to do contact tracing in a particular community. In the longer term, I think all of this will will have a longer term impact on health in the Bay Area for a long time. Even after we deal with COVID, we'll be dealing with other um, sort of consequences of the health that we've not had the chance to fully focus on while we've been focusing 100% of our effort on COVID. And I think understanding what communities might be disproportionately impacted in terms of their health after COVID starts to die down, I think will also help in longer term uh, planning to keep all of our communities as healthy as they can be. I think that because at the root of health disparities is these powerful structural inequities, 
the health states that we see and the big stark disparities in the health states are only signals of these wider inequities. We are not going to address these health states effectively and the inequities here without really partnering with people who have more influence on on the social sectors, on our educational environments, on our political landscape, on our uh, employment sectors. Um, those are where we really need to both um, understand the inequities there and how they then are manifest um, as health disparities. I don't think we really ultimately address especially the very pervasive health disparities without really going back to the fundamental causes, which in the end are really about poverty, bias, racism, and how those play out over time. As of Friday afternoon, some county governments in the Bay Area released data for COVID-19 that does include some numbers on race and ethnicity. San Francisco, Alameda, and Santa Clara counties have that online now. So does the State Department of Public Health. And it's still early, but the data so far does show a large number of Latinx residents who have confirmed cases of COVID-19. Dr. Kirsten Bivens-Domingo is Vice Dean for Population Health and Health Equity in the School of Medicine at UC San Francisco. She's also chair of their Epidemiology and Biostatistics Department and a general internist at SF General Hospital. UCSF also has this great tool called the Health Atlas, where you can get all kinds of great data on health disparities in California and in the Bay Area. We'll leave you a link in our show notes. The Bay is currently being produced by Erica Cruz Guevara in Fairfield, editor Alan Montecilio in San Francisco, and me, Devin Katayama, in Vallejo. We get help and support each week from KQED staff from all over the rest of the Bay Area. And if you like what you're hearing, do me a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or better yet, talk to a friend about us. Let them know that we're out here waiting to tell them stories all about the Bay Area. All right, that's it for us. Erica is going to be back in the host chair Wednesday while I fill in for Brian Watt on KQED Radio. So until next time, see ya. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.